0: You know, um, it was about two months ago, uh, I got in a car accident. It was my first car accident ever. Um, and I was driving on the freeway, uh, 8 o'clock on a Wednesday morning, and a big rig hit me. And it kind of freaked me out. I didn't know what was going on. All of a sudden, my car, just, I just lost control of my car. And this big rig comes and hits me. And then I spun around the big rig, and I'm facing oncoming traffic. And it, was, it wasn't as scary as it sounds, because I was connected to the truck the whole time. I think if I had spun off the truck, it would have been a lot scarier. But I was connected at all times. Um, luckily, there was a CHP officer that I had just seen pass by me like 10 seconds earlier. And so I saw him back up, and he came to me. And I said, please tell me you saw that. And he says, no, but I heard it. So he helped me dislodge from the truck, and I turned my car around, and I was on the side of the freeway. And um, I see him talking to the, to the lady truck driver, and I'm waiting. And after like five, ten minutes, I thought, well, I'm just going to go out there and start talking to them. So I go out there, and, and the CHP officer walks away, and I talk to the lady, and she says, are you okay? I said, I said yeah, but what happened? And she says, well, I, was, I didn't see you. I said, well, you're trying to get into my lane? And she said, Yes. I said, okay, well, it's pretty obvious what happened. I already knew that. And then the CHP officer came back and he asked me to go back to my car. And so I went back to my car and and, um, pretty soon uh, he came to me and he said, what happened? And I said, well, you know, she came into my lane and hit me. And and he said, well, that's not what she said. I said, well, that's what she just told me. And he says, well, no, she says you hit her. And I said, but she just told me, right? And, and, And the thing is, when I was stopped on the freeway, there was a whole line of cars just waiting to go. And I thought, wow, there's tons of witnesses. So many people that could just pull over and say, hey, I saw what happened. The truck hit him. But not one person stopped. And then the CHP officer says, well, I'll, I'll look to see where the skid marks are and, and we'll get this strained out. And um, he went back there later and he said he didn't see any skid marks, which I don't see how he couldn't see it. And I said, okay, well, maybe somebody will call the police station and say, hey, this is what I saw. This is what happened. Not one single person called. And so what they call it now is 50-50, right? I say one thing. She said another thing. And so basically, I had to pay the deductible. And it, you know, it was horrible. And I just wanted to yell out, can I get a witness? You know, Just one witness. Just one person to say that they saw what happened. But because I couldn't get a witness, I had to pay my deductible, which is horrible. Um, but, you know, when we're talking about sharing our faith, you know, I, I think God is saying, can I get a witness? Will you be his witness? A witness to, to say all the things that you've seen, how God's worked in your life. When I moved back up to the Bay Area from Southern California, um, I just needed a job real quick, so I went to Costco and I saw my buddy who was the manager, and, and I hadn't seen him in a while, and from the last time I saw him until then, I had become a Christian. And um, I was kind of sharing with him, and I said, and, and he said, what's been going on? And I said, dude, I became a Christian. He goes, really? I said, man, if you saw all the things I've seen over the last six years, it's just amazing. And I remember he looked at me and says, like what? And I was like... I couldn't think of a single thing, right? It was the perfect example. The guy was trying to tell me how God's working in my life, and I just froze. And I was like, oh. yeah, it was just really awkward. And so, and I thought about, you know, what kind of witness is that? But you know, God calls us all to be witnesses. And, and I get that question a lot. How can, how can I be a witness to people? How can I share Jesus with the people around me? Now, we all know people that are not saved yet, whether they're co-workers, or classmates, or family members, or, or friends. Um, so how do we share? Well, there's five things that we're going to talk about this morning, All right. So where do we start? By praying. By praying. Talking to the one and only person who can help us. 1 Timothy 2, the first five verses say, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God and and our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus now see the thing is, there's no amount of sharing, pleading, convincing that we can do to, to force or to convince anybody to become a Christian, unless God helps us, and if God touches their hearts, and God touches their minds. Prayer is important. Prayer is so important. So before you talk to your friend or your coworker, talk to God first. Pray for that person. Pray that God will, will touch their hearts, that God will touch their minds, that God will give you open, open doors and opportunities to share with them. So prayer. All right, we also have to remember that we have a purpose. We're not just created on this earth just to exist. We're created here to live with a purpose. With a purpose. Acts 13, 47 for the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Be a light. Be a light. I heard the story of this, this guy. He would go to uh, corporations, and he would try to convince uh, presidents and CEOs and vice presidents to leave their positions to go work for another company. And he was very successful at what he did. And somebody asked him about his success and he said what he would do is he would go into their office and he would start talking football, start talking family, just the latest movie. Just get them relaxed. And he says once they get relaxed, he would, he would go in for the kill and he would say, what is your purpose in life? And he said CEOs, presidents of thousands of people were dumbfounded because they didn't have the answer. They didn't know. They would sit there and they would say, um, I guess to make a lot of money, to grow the business, to get a big house, fancy car, you know, and he said he was very successful doing this and, and he said people were just lost. But he said one time he met somebody who was the president of a company and he said he started talking about sports and different things and then he says, he said, let me ask you this, what is the purpose of your life? And he said, the man turned to him, and he looked, and he said, My purpose in life is to get to heaven and to take as many people with me as I can. And this guy was shocked. And he thought, you know what? He finally met a person that knew what his purpose in life was. His purpose in life was to be able to share with people about Jesus. Not just live life and forget all about other things, but to really make a difference. Now, what's your purpose in life? Is it to make a lot of money? Have a big house? Now, I'm not judging if you do. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is, if that's all that life is, then you're missing the bigger picture. You're missing what's really important. You know, we have a short amount of time here on earth. And we need to use it to make a difference. And we can reach people one person at a time. How many, how many of you here know the name Edward Kimball? Anybody know Edward Kimball? Okay, a couple of people. Edward Kimball, um, long, long time ago, he was a Sunday school teacher. And he wanted to uh, reach out to his Sunday school class. And so he would go to their places of business and, and try to talk Jesus with them. And, and one of the guys in the Sunday school class was a shoe salesman. And he, he wanted to go in there, but he was debating and walking back and forth. But he decided, yes, I'm going to go share with the shoe salesman. And right there in the shoe store, he led this man, the shoe salesman, to Christ. Which was awesome. If, if the story ended there, that would be awesome. This, this man comes to Christ, that's great. But this man's name was Dwight L. Moody, who became one of the greatest evangelists of his time. Now, Dwight Moody went on and and he was an international speaker and he went and and he gave a message and he shared about his Sunday school teacher and that really impacted a guy by the name of Frederick Meyer who decided that he too would become an evangelist. So he went traveling around and he shared and one of his sermons touched a guy by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman. Now, J. Wilbur Chapman decided he should be an evangelist, too. And so he started going around with these evangelistic crusades. And one of his volunteers was a guy, a professional baseball player, by the name of Billy Sunday. Now, Billy went around, and he started his own crusades. And being influenced by Billy Sunday's crusades, a group of people in uh, North Carolina decided to have their own crusades. And they invited a guy by the name of Mordecai Ham. To come and share. And one night. While Mordecai Ham was, was sharing. A tall lanky a teenager. Came forward and gave his life to Christ. And that guy's name was Billy Graham. Now Billy Graham. Has probably reached more people for Jesus. Than anybody in the history of the world. And it, could, it goes all the way back. To Edward Kimball. Who shared Jesus with Dwight Moody. You know, reaching one person is awesome, but you never know how many that could lead to. And this story came up. I was um, somebody in Sacramento. Uh, there's, a, there's a private school out there and they asked me if I knew any uh, football players that would be able to go speak at their school. And, and, I, and I asked a friend of mine that's part of the power team, have you ever seen those guys that rip telephone books and they, this guy he showed me a, a video of him breaking a 2 by 4 with this chest some guys were holding a 2 by 4 and he ran through this 2 by 4 and so I sent him a message I said hey buddy would you be interested in speaking at the school he said sure I said but I gotta let you know you know not that this is the issue but I don't, I don't know him that well so I just said hey they came up and told me right away their budget is zero and he said hey I don't care I said that's great and he says, You know, the next person, there could be the next Billy Graham at that school. I said, Great, that's a great attitude to have. And so um, it's funny that that story came up. So we want to remember that we all, each and every one of us, have a purpose. If, you were, if you're here, you're born, you're created, God has a purpose for you. So we also have to remember that we need to be prepared prepare so first pray know we have a purpose and then prepared. first peter first peter 3:15 says in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect be prepared no matter where you're at and I'll, I texted my buddy in, in Los Angeles. He's a, he's a pastor, started a church in Southern California. His name's Kyle Shimazaki. Some of you may know him. And this guy, talk about being prepared. This guy is, when I think of evangelists, this, this is the guy I think about. Um, he has a story one time. He was driving on the 10 freeway in Los Angeles, and he heard a screeching from behind him, and he gets hit. A car hits him from behind. And he gets out of the car, and then he asks the driver, are you okay? And then he he looks at the car, and he says, there's some damage. But he says, it wasn't that big of a deal. So he told the guy, he said, you know what? Um, I don't need to see your license. I don't need to see your insurance. I forgive you for hitting me. And the guy was like, oh, thank you so much. And then Kyle says, just as I forgave you for hitting my car, how would you like to know about a God that could forgive you for all the sins that you've ever done. And the guy said, I would like to know about this God. And so right there on the freeway, Kyle led this man to a personal relationship with Jesus. And then he says, bro, you hit my car because God loves you. Think about that, right? I thought, wow, you hit my car because God loves you. Now, you never know who God calls into your life. But you know what? There's people that you could reach that none of the pastors here could reach because they're your friends, they're your neighbors, they're your family members. Just be ready. Be ready to share. And you know, God could be using you guys even if you're not using your words. God sees our actions. I used to play basketball at this, uh, you guys know the neighborhood church? Uh, it's the Three Crosses by 580. Um, 580 and 238. It's the huge church in Castro Valley. So I used to play basketball there in the mornings. So and we'd get up like at 7 o'clock in the morning and go play basketball. And um, there was a, it was, it was a really cool guy. I mean, really cool um, basketball all the time. And, and the pastor there, Larry Vol, is just a great guy. Good basketball player, but just the nicest guy. Um, but there was another guy there um, he doesn't work at that church, right? But he's a youth pastor at another church. Um, but this guy, he would argue every call. And he would complain and, and yell. And then there were times where he would push me. Like, he would, like we would be playing and he would just foul me hard. And one time I pulled him aside. And I said, hey, buddy, remember, you're supposed to set, a, set an example because there's a lot of guys there that aren't Christian. And he goes, I forgot. Christians can't get frustrated. I said, bro, you can get frustrated all you want, but just remember, people are watching you, you know. Because his friends were my friends, and he would invite them out. And I know that they would say things like, well, well, what, what does he have that I don't have? You know, we're not Christians, but he's a Christian, and yet, look at him. Why would we want anything that he has? So just remember, as part of being prepared to share the gospel, just remember that people are watching you, too. And people are looking for you to make mistakes and to see, oh, well, that person's Christian and he did that or she's like that. Be prepared. I think of, um, I think of how actions speak loudly. It was St. Francis of Assisi that said, uh, preach Jesus and if necessary, use words. What's that mean? Preach Jesus in the way you act. Preach Jesus in everything you do. And say, let our lives cry out as an example of Jesus' love and grace in our lives. So always be prepared. Okay, the fourth fourth one, have a plan. Have a plan. Now, usually you're not going to go up to somebody and say, hey, you need Jesus. Let me share with you right now. Right? So what does it mean that we have a plan? Um, just think of this. Plans are important. Plans are important. If you kind of just do things without a plan, you kinda of set yourself up to fail. Um, when I was when I was younger, I thought what I what I really liked doing was substitute teaching, high school, middle school, elementary school. That's what I love to do. And I and if I can, you know, be honest, I think I was I was pretty good at it. Because substitute teaching, you don't have to plan anything. You just do whatever the teacher leaves for you. But classroom management for me, I enjoyed it. I had fun with kids, and we had a good time. Everything was great. So I thought, I want to be a teacher. So I went through the teaching program. But see, when you're an actual teacher, you have to plan. And I was horrible. <laughs> horrible. It got to the point, I got three quarters of the way through the teaching program. Three quarters. I was almost done. And I had two advisors. And the advisor's job is to keep us all in the program at all costs. So if anybody says, hey, I want to quit, they say, no, you're going to be a great teacher, just stick with it, we'll help you through it. Well, after three quarters, I decided that I didn't want to be a teacher, because I, was, I wasn't doing justice to the kids. And so I, I, I talked to my advisors, I said, I just want to let you guys know that I decided I'm going to leave the program. And they both looked at me and said, we think that's a good idea. <laughs> I thought, wait a minute, wait, where's my, where's my pep talk? And one of them said, well, you know, so-and-so recommended you, and she highly recommended you, but we just don't see it. (laughs) I was like, you know what? You guys are horrible at pep talks. (laughs) But I understood what they were saying. uh, Horrible plans. Horrible plans. I mean, maybe you heard about the bank robber. This is about 20 years ago. There's a bank robber in Oakland. He had this whole plan to rob a bank, and he actually robbed the bank. What he forgot to plan was his getaway car. So he gets out of the bank, and he runs into the parking lot, and he sees a car, and he tells the lady, get out the car. So the lady gets out the car, shuts the door, and runs away, and he goes to open the door. Door's locked. He goes, oh man. So he goes to another car, he says, get out the car, and he holds the door open. She runs away. He jumps in the car See? No keys. <laughs> he says, oh man. So he starts looking around, and all of a sudden, cars are whizzing by, so he's, he's telling them to stop. Nobody's stopping. He pulls out a $100 bill. And he goes, I'll give you this if you give me a ride. The guy rolls down the window, takes the $100 bill, and drives off. (laughs) So finally he says, you know what? He has a gun, right? So he says, "So he pulls over a car, and he jumps in the backseat with one of the other guys. And he's holding a gun to him, and he's telling the driver, I want you to drive me to this place. And then the driver looks back, and he goes, hey, that's not even a real gun. It was a real gun, but it didn't look like a real gun. So the guy in the backseat starts beating up the the bank robber. (laughs) They open the door and they kick him out. So here's this guy. I mean, all this time goes by. He's out $100. He lost his gun. And and now he gets on the bus. Right? Gets on the bus. It takes him to the BART station where there's like three cop cars waiting to arrest him. Right? Because he didn't have a plan. So when we're trying to witness to people, when we're trying to share Jesus, what is your plan. What are you gonna do? Some things you could do is you could, you know, we could throw out bait in the words that we say. Oh, praise God that I did well on my test, or oh, please pray for pray for my mom because she's sick, or um, oh, Jesus is so awesome, And, and and people may take the bait. I mean, we're fishers of men, right? So we're we're fishing, so we're throwing out bait. And people may take the bait and go What do you mean praise God? What does that mean? And then you can share with them. Or they might just not even want to talk about it. And they go, okay, praise God for you. And not even talk about it. But you don't want to force them. Did you hear what I said? I said praise God. Aren't you going to ask me about that? I said praise God, right? Just like when you go fishing. When you go fishing, you don't jump in the water, grab a fish, and force it on the hook. Right? You just throw the line out there and you wait. And sometimes you wait minutes, sometimes you wait hours. It may take a long time. But have a plan and throw the bait out there. There's other things you could do too. Invite people to church events, especially outreach events. Like Serve Sunday, Pastor Calvin was talking about. Invite people to come out and, and serve alongside with you. And meet people in the church. And then they'll be more interested in coming back if they know people. You can do things like um, use social media. Throw, throw things out there on Facebook. You know, I mean, it's great to show everybody what you have for lunch and breakfast and dinner, right? It's great that, you know, you say, go Warriors, right? You know, um, I'm friends with this one guy who's a big A's fan, which is okay, but it's almost like he, like, he does, like, almost every game and almost every inning. Oh, man, he grounded it out. Really? You know, do you even really have to say, I don't need a play by play, you know? But use, use it for our advantage. There's people that you're friends with that, that don't know Jesus. Use it. Maybe get them to start thinking, okay? Um, what I used to do when my dad was alive, um, I would leave those tracts, those four spiritual laws, I would leave it in places that he might uh, be sitting and might not have anything to read, like the bathroom. Right? I thought, well, I'll just leave it there. And what if he's sitting there going, oh, man, I forgot my newspaper. Hey, what's this? And maybe he'll read it and he'll accept Christ on the toilet. You know, right? But have a plan. Have a plan. Some kind of plan. Okay? Um, the last point is we need to be patient. Patient. Don't rush things. Don't rush things. I prayed for my dad for years and years. Be patient. Um, I just put the story out on Facebook for so, some of you that are friends with me on Facebook. You, you saw the story, and I thought about it later. I was like, "Oh, I should have waited." But um, about a year and a half ago, uh, we started this thing called Play for Him, and um, and what it is is we share, um, we work with Christian uh, professional athletes, so they share their testimonies online, and we make these videos, and we print these player cards for them, and they can pass out to their fans and Basically, share the gospel with people that follow them, that like them. And one of the one of the first people that we thought about working with was um, Stephen Curry. Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna, you know Stephen Curry is a basketball player. He plays for the Warriors. Um, and when we first started this, uh, we sent word to the Warriors. And uh, there's a guy that was coaching the Warriors by the name of Mark Jackson, who's also a, a minister. And, and he was thinking about it. And then they went to the playoffs, and we we're going to talk to him afterwards. And they got fired. And so I don't know what happened to that. So I kind of just kind of got lost. Well, last January, I got invited to the Warriors Chapel. And I got to, um, to meet some of the team. And, and I picked the Oklahoma City game because I wanted to meet um, uh, Kevin Durant because uh, I heard he was a believer too, but Kevin wasn't there. Um, but I remember we were walking through the, through the, uh, uh, through the locker room, and there was, uh, I, was walk- I was following four of the thunder in there. And we walk in, and there's only two warriors in there, and it was Justin Holliday and Kuzmik. And so they said, okay, introduce yourself." So I just introduced myself, and they're saying hi. We talk, and then I sit in the back, and then in walks uh, Bob Myers, who's the GM, and uh, then Draymond Green, David Lee, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, all these guys walk in, and I'm thinking, oh, this is great. And after the chapel was over, uh, I got introduced, and I got to pass out shirts to all these guys. I said, hey, guys, I'd love to have you guys you know, do a video of you guys and pass out these shirts, and it was, it was great. So after the game, uh, we went to the press conference and, and we're hanging out, and, and we're right outside the visitors I mean, the, uh, the team locker room, and we're waiting for Steph Curry to come out, because he's the guy. And, and to this day, everybody always asks, "When are you going to get Steph?" It doesn't matter that we got, you know, these other guys on the A's. It doesn't matter that we got Derek Carr, who's the quarterback for the Raiders. It doesn't matter. People want Steph Curry, right? And so we're, we're talking to uh, my friend and I are talking to one of the referees. And the referee heard that my friend was a chaplain, and he's just pouring his heart out. And he's saying, oh, I don't want to go back to my old lifestyle. It's all about Jesus. I just want to live for Jesus right now. And he was so passionate. He was sweating as he was talking to us. And, and he was saying how he started a, um, a Bible study among the NBA referees. And, and he was sharing all this. And while he's sharing, I see Steph Curry leave the locker room, right? And so I don't want to be like, oh, okay, sorry, never mind, right? Right? <laughs> And so we're still talking to him, and I was like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And then, um, so we talked for another like 10, 15 minutes, and then he left, and my friend says, hey, sorry, I don't know when Steph's going to leave the locker room. I go, he's right over there. He goes, oh, let's go talk to him. I said, awesome. So we went to go talk to him, but Steph was talking to like, you know, some other people, and he had signed a shoe for them or something. So he's talking to these fans, and mind you, there's nobody else around, because this is right outside the locker room. And so I'm standing like right next to, right, he's like right here. And I'm like standing like right next to him. I felt like leaning against him, you know. And I was standing right next to him. And we're waiting for like a good 15 minutes. Maybe 10, 15 minutes. And um, he's still talking, talking, talking. And, and um, you know, I didn't want to bother him. But then um, I thought, you know what? At that point, I felt God was saying to me, Scott, don't force it. Don't force it. If I want Steph to be part of your team, I'll bring him to you. And at first I was like, uh-uh, this is Steph Curry. This, this guy's going to be MVP. We might win a championship this year. I'm not leaving this guy's side until I talk to him. But I felt like God was saying, don't you trust me? And so I stepped aside and I went to go talk to another guy, Who this guy Harrison Barnes. talked to him for a little bit. But I kept looking at Steph and I was like, wait, you know, and then after I talked to Harrison for a little bit and then I went back and stood next to Steph, you know, just, just wait. And then again, I heard God say like, Scott, just trust me. And so my ride, because I didn't know I was going to stick around after the game. I didn't know any of that stuff. And so my ride, I was going to give him a ride. He had already left. So I texted my buddy. He's a beat writer for the Warriors. And I said, hey, dude, can you give me a ride home? And he goes, sure, I'm doing interviews when I'm done. I'll let you know. But he had been done because everybody else was out of the locker room. So he was waiting for me. And he was cool. He was, he was willing to wait longer. But I really felt God was saying, Scott, I'll take care of you. Don't worry. And so I looked at stuff one more time. And I felt like it was like I was giving him a goodbye kiss. Like, <laughs> you know. And I walked away. And, and then I went home. And, and it was, I just really felt it wasn't meant to be. We looked for his wife, Aisha. And, um. She wasn't where she normally is. And it just seemed like I was forcing things. And now I haven't talked to Steph since. Well, kind of. I, I talked to him and he didn't, he didn't hear me. He just kept walking. I was like, Ugh. So, you know, I didn't want to force things. In the same way, when we're sharing Jesus with our loved ones and people that we know, we can't force it. We can't rush it. God's saying, don't you trust me? I'll take care of this. Now, we don't know if they're ever going to come to Christ. And I don't know if Steph Curry will ever be part of the Play For Him team. But, you know, I've got to trust that as much as I want Steph on the team, it's more important that I trust that God is the head of this team. And if if Play For Him just dies out and we end up not doing any more videos and, and he doesn't bring any more athletes and we run out of funds and everything, then I'm okay with that. Because having God on the team is so much better. So much better. You know, things may seem impossible, but you know Luke 18, 27? God says he can turn the impossible into the possible. He can do miracles that we can't. And I want to close with this last story. You know, I mentioned my dad, and I mentioned the, the tracks I will leave by the toilet. And... Um, I accepted Christ in the late 1800s. Sorry. <laughs> Not that old. In the late 1980s. Late 1980s. And, um, and it was in 1991 that my dad, uh, uh, I remember I was getting ready to go to vacation Bible school, and, and all of a sudden I, I was saying, Bye, Dad, and I was looking for him, and then I found him in the bathroom. He was on the ground. I said, what happened? He goes, oh, I just fell off the toilet. I was like, that's weird. Said, Why you, how do you fall off the toilet, right? So I picked him up, put him back on there. I said, I'm going to go. I'll see you later, okay? He goes, okay, see ya. And then all of a sudden I heard thud. And I looked and he fell again. I said, dude, what are you doing, right? So I said, so oh, you know, a little more respectful. So I said, I said dad, what are you doing? You know, um, and so I, I, I said, let's go sit down for a little bit. And so I had him his arm around me. And I said, let's go to the TV room. And his legs start going this way, but the TV room's this way. And I was like, you don't know what the TV room is? So we sat down, and I'm thinking, should I call 911? And, and absolutely, that's what I should have done. But my dad kept saying, no. And I said, well, I'm going to call mom, who is at work. He says, no, she's going to worry. I said, well, yeah, I'm worried too, man. What's going on? And so I called his friend. And I remember we're we're sitting there watching Wheel of Fortune, right? I don't know why I remember that, but we're watching Wheel of Fortune. And I said, Dad, can I pray for you? And he's like, all right, whatever. So I prayed for him. And then his friend came over, and his friend says, you know, Scott, I'll take him to the hospital. You go to your church thing. I said, okay. So hours and hours went by. This is before I had a cell phone. We had cell phones. And I called, and my dad and my mom said, why don't you come home? We need to talk, right? So I came home. And we went to the hospital, and what happened was my dad had a blood clot in his brain. And it was and I remember we we're, were sitting next to him, and then the doctor came in reading the, the X-ray, the, the report, and he looked at my dad, and he said, "Can I talk to you?" And he pulled me outside and he said, "You know what? Looking at the size of this blood clot, I fully expected to see a man in a coma. I can't understand why he's not in a coma. And I was kind of like, well, we prayed for him. You know, there's, there's a God that's bigger than anything you learned in med school, bigger than any medicine or x-ray or whatever. And I remember that night they had, they had to have surgery right away. And the guy said, well, 98% chance everything's going to be okay. I said, okay. But, you know, 98% chance, that's a good, good chance. But I just kept thinking about that 2%. And I remember going home and I was crying And I said, God, if my dad knows you, because I didn't know where he stood with God. I said, if he knows you, make it okay for me to accept that you're going to take him. But if he doesn't know you, please give me more time to share with him. Well, he made it past that surgery, and I took that as a sign that I need to share more with him. And I became a little bit more aggressive. Not aggressive, but, um, you know. More, more active in my sharing with him and trying to share Jesus with him. And, and um, you know, praise God, a few years later, he, he said he wanted to accept Christ into his life. And this is after years and years of praying for him and, 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 and sharing with him, a little bit here, a little bit there. And, and then in 1997, six years later, again, my mom called me and said, Scotty, you need to come home. And I went home and, My dad. Um, they said he was sick, and I said, "What? What's going on?" And he lifted up his shirt, and he had this huge belly, huge belly, and I said, "Dad, what is that?" And he goes, "Scott, I'm pregnant." I said, "Dad," what? I go, "What is that?" You know, and he goes, "I don't know." So we went to go see the doctor the next day. And the doctor said, we don't know what it is, we just know it's not cancer. So I turned to the nurse, I said, is it serious? And she said, oh yeah, people die from it all the time. I was like, oh, okay, well thanks. She's not so happy about it. I mean, I don't know what it is about that phrase. I've been told that before too. It's like, they're so happy about that. And um, so they said, we don't know what it is, it's just not cancer. And the next day they called and said, okay, we know what it is, it's cancer. I said, well, how long does my dad have And he said, if you're lucky, a month. And I remember, I remember my dad laying in his bed and my mom and I were sitting on the bed. And and I remember he turned to my mom and he said, Sue, and you know, my dad never talked like this, ever, ever. He turned to my mom and said, Sue, you are so beautiful today. And my mom looked at him and said, "What do you mean today i 'm beautiful every day. <laughs> but you know she didn 't know that those were going to be the last words that he would say to her, but I needed to know I needed to know what really was in his heart, because he had accepted Christ a few years earlier, and not that going to church makes you a Christian, but you know he he never seemed to have a desire to go to church or read the Bible, so I wanted to kind of confirm his faith and I said, Dad, I just want to know what you believe in. I said, Do you, you know, I don't know why I phrase it like this, but I said, Dad, do you believe in God? And he says, Yes. I said, Great. And I walked away, and I thought, You know, that doesn't really mean anything, right? So I went back and said, Dad, sorry. (laughs) I, what, what do you mean you believe in God? I said, I said, Which God are you talking about? And he said. Scott, there's only one God I know. I said, "Awesome, awesome." And I walked away, and I was like, "Well, you know, that doesn't really explain anything either." I said, "Dad," I said, "Which God are you talking about? Are you talking about Jesus Christ, who died on the cross?" For then I do the whole gospel thing. I go, "Do you really believe that you were created by God, and then Jesus came, and you know, God came in the form of Jesus, and He died on the cross for your sins, and He died and rose again, blah blah?" blah. And he said, "Yes." I said, "Awesome. That's awesome." And so a week or so later when he, we, we slowly saw him de- deteriorate. And it was hard. It was hard seeing him like that. And finally one night my mom and I, we just spoke in his ear. and We said, Daddy, you can go. We're going to be okay. Don't hang on for us. You have somewhere, somewhere else better to go, you know. And we'll see you soon. And that night he passed away. And after my daughters, I have three daughters, after they were born, um, after, especially when my oldest daughter was born, my first daughter, take her to go see my mom, and she's jumping on the bed, and, and I just had this feeling like, that's the same bed that my dad slept in for how many years? And here's his only granddaughter jumping on the bed, and I'm telling, telling them stories about my About my dad. And it's bittersweet. But it's amazing to see God turn the impossible to the possible. You know, when we trust in Him. And you know, God can use you to reach the people in your lives. The people that you think are just impossible to reach. Oh, He would never become a Christian. Oh, she is too far off. No way. Doesn't matter. God can touch the farthest heart, the coldest heart, the the person that is so far away from God that you think it's impossible. God's saying it's not impossible. It's not impossible. And the way I see it like this, there's a phrase that I always think about when I think about evangelism. I think of it like this. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody that can save Anybody. And that's exactly how we should be looking at it. I mean, it's not about us. We are nobody. But we should be telling everybody about somebody, Jesus, who can save anybody. It's not about our power. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we, we don't have to rely on our own power, our own wisdom our own gifts and talents, but we can just rely on You knowing that You can touch hearts. And I pray Father that You would use each and every one of us to go out there and share You with the people around us. Maybe it's neighbors or coworkers, classmates, friends, teammates, family members, maybe it's parents that don't know you yet and you've been praying for them for years maybe it's our own children I pray father that you would help us all to be the light that you created us to be and to live out that purpose and the reason why you created us we pray father that you would help us and guide us and lead us and help us to expand your kingdom And help us to be the people you created us to be. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.